one thing we'll talk about when we talk about working with a customer. We use this phrase with our customers and it really helps solidify what we need to do, which is we don't want to play battleship. So, and, and battleship is where we make a material and we throw it over the wall and we say, did that hit? Did it work? And they come back with like, no, you missed. And I was like, okay, well, let's try this one. And I throw it over the wall and I was like, no, that didn't work either. But I don't have any feedback. I don't, I don't know what was bad about it. I just know it didn't work. And people that are worried about protecting their information, that's what they want to play. And you can't develop something like that. What we say is let, let's take the wall down, show me where your battleships are, show me how I missed, and then we'll tweak the molecule, we'll tweak the formulation so that we hit your targets. But we have to have that intimate development. I'm Kim Chris, Director of SC Tech and Cybersecure SC at the South Carolina Council on Competitiveness. And I'm Joseph Nutter, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopFiz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on business and creativity, entrepreneurship and leadership, failure and growth, and so much more. Is leadership a learned trait or a natural one? This simple, endearing question is often easily answered as both. That it takes a certain natural aptitude and disposition, alongside specific training and exposure to situations, to cultivate leadership skills. And while it might be a simple anecdotal answer, the reality is that it takes a lot of purposeful practice to become a leader, and a good one at that. It's a popular concept to think that it takes around 10,000 hours to master a skill. Whether scientifically validated or not, it simply means you have to do something repeatedly for a long time to become good at it. But how does that work to master leadership? You can practice a solo piano piece for years without anyone having to hear it. But you can't practice leadership without people willing to follow. That perhaps is where the complexity to the answer comes in. Learning and practicing to be a good leader requires people to consistently believe in your strengths or in your mission strongly enough to look past your weaknesses and failings along the way. In other words, it's a two-way exchange, a group narrative, not an individual one, a continual understanding and a commitment between follower and leader. It's this humbling realization, this cultivated perspective on leadership and entrepreneurship that Jeff DeMeo opens up about in this episode of Of Note. My name is Jeff DeMeo. I'm a CEO of Tetchmer Technologies. We're here in Pendleton, South Carolina at Tetchmer Technologies. Tetchmer Technologies develops advanced materials uh, for industrial and government customers. So that may involve developing a new material or that may involve taking a existing material and improving upon that. We do everything from uh, you know, molecular development to process research. We have an 18,000 square foot facility with about 8,000 square feet of wet labs. So you're looking at chemical hoods, analytical equipment, uh, methods for testing strength of materials. We can do thermal testing so we can take temperatures from negative 70 degrees Celsius all the way up to 1,000 degrees. Basically, everything in this facility is designed for us to be able to develop new materials, characterize the materials to make sure that they 
fit the requirements and then scale them up so that we can take them to production. Basically, Jeff's team and their lab and equipment are ready to develop just about any material you might need. So when a customer comes to us, they're normally looking at, they have a product or, or they want to develop a product that's differentiated by the materials that are used in it. And so that might be they, they have a coating that repels water and they want to develop a better coating. And that's what will cause the customer to use that product. Or it may be that they have a material that provides better performance, but nobody may know that the material is actually in their product. They will come to us, they'll give us a set of specifications and say, can you make this material and we'll always come back and say, you know, on the, the business side, what's the cost that you can afford? What are the volumes that you need? So that we can make sure that our solution actually solves the problem technically, but also solves the problem on the business side. Um, and we'll take that material, develop in the labs, and take that all the way through production to, to figure out how, how, to, how do we scale this up? Where can we scale it up? And all the way to serving even the vendor role to that end customer. So we've worked on everything from developing fuel cell membranes. So these are polymers that are used uh, in the hydrogen infrastructure. So those materials can be used to develop hydrogen from water, or they can be used to actually run hydrogen-powered cars or battery backup systems. We've also done work with piezoelectric materials, which are materials that create electricity when they are mechanically stretched. We've developed low-calorie fat replacers with one customer. So that involves developing a fat that's not bioabsorbable. And so you can buy that on the shelf right now in different ice cream and chocolate products. And then we've done a lot of work in the Department of Defense side. So there we've developed components for fiber laser weapon systems. We've currently have a contract working on decontaminating chemical weapons. So instead of soldier suit absorbing chemical weapons and protecting the soldier, it actually converts the chemical weapon into a non-toxic substance. So how do you go from a phone call or an email or maybe even a text to developing fiber laser weapon systems? Often when working with a customer, we will actually go on site and, and look at their production line so we can better understand how is the material used in the final product. So that may involve, you know, is, is it a aqueous system? Are they, you know, do they have heat tunnels? What are the ranges? So we often are given, we'd like the material to melt at this temperature and we need to understand, are we, is that a firm number or is there some flex in that number so that we can communicate to the customer there, there's always trade-offs between performance and cost and, and supply chains. We'll also go back and look at the actual supply chain. Um, often that's in our material and that's clearly a pressing issue right now but that's always a concern if you get a material developed often if it's a a scientist that's not used to working on industrial products they may develop a product but there's just not enough of the raw materials in the world to supply the final application and we'll always look at that as we look at our solution is does it have the supply chain can you get through the regulatory requirements and then you know most importantly though does it solve the problem, not just when we do it in the lab, but will it solve the problem at our customer's facility as well? I know in my mind, when I heard the name Tetramer and I heard about its lab space and project portfolio, I thought they were a massive operation, but really, they were only about 25 people at the time we talked with Jeff. Currently, Tetramer has about 25 employees and, and we're doing a lot of work and, and have historically done a lot of work with research and development. Well, one of the big things we've been excited about is over the last five years is we've made a big push towards actually manufacturing materials and being able to do that. Whether that's manufacturing through toll manufacturers and using their existing capacity or building out that capacity within our current building. And that's exciting because 
when you develop a new material, it's always difficult for your customer. They normally don't want to be a materials development company. They don't want to produce materials. They want to buy something off the shelf and it doesn't exist. And so for Tetramer, we look at ourselves now as being able to do a completely integrated development cycle. We can do ideation with a customer to figure out what they want. We can prove out the technology, we can scale it up. But one of the big problems at the end of that route is who makes it and, and how do I get it as a customer? And we can close that loop with them. Uh, so moving forward, that's, the, that's an area that we're growing. Uh, we've, we've really spent a lot of time putting ISO certifications in place, training everyone to, to be able to handle you know, a quality management system, buying the equipment that we need, the analytical equipment to characterize the polymers well. Um, and what we found as a niche is there's a lot of really big companies, billion dollar companies that have a sole source material. They're the only people that know it, that it exists. They're the only people that buy the material, but they need a reliable supply. And, and those tend to be smaller volumes, but still in the $20 million range, something that Dow Chemical wouldn't want to work on, but, but they need someone to provide that. And that's something that we're pushing moving forward. But to even find out about those materials and operate in that niche, you need to build a relationship with customers. Creating relationships with customers, it's one, incredibly important. And, and especially for scientists, it can be challenging. Scientists can be introverted on occasion. So getting a group of scientists to go work with another group of people is traditionally not easy. They're not always quick to pick up the phone and give someone a call. But over time, you realize that's an absolutely necessary and critical component. And it does go back to trust. You have to trust the people you're working with. You can do Zoom calls, but we will make trips. We will fly out to see a customer. And a lot of it is to see their facility to understand. But, but more important than that is just the personal relationship. When we have a problem that we need to reach out to a customer, we actually, you know, it's like, oh good, I have an excuse to go talk to Joe. Okay, great, we'll go talk to him. The other aspect, we have our axioms at Tetramer, and part of one of them is, Mia, we, we talk about Mia Coppa, right? I made a mistake, I screwed up. And when people try to cover their tracks, it just kills innovation, right? You have to be absolutely honest with, with your team, with, with yourself and say, you know what, I made a mistake. And we, we share that with our customers as well because we've had customers that gave us the wrong specifications before. And we worked for six months making something that was wrong. And then we had to start over and they had to call us up and say, I, yeah, I, I moved the decimal, my bad. But again, you know, no one likes to hear that, but instead of trying to blame someone and trying to say why this wasn't my fault, just saying, guys, I made a mistake. Let's move forward. How do we address it? And the goal has to be on how do we, as quickly as possible, solve the problem? And everything else is a side table. That's just something that's a distraction from success. So we have this saying at Tetramer, which is we're doing our best and trying to get better. And that's one of our axioms. And lots of companies have, have these aspirational goals and, and you, you know put them on a poster and, and that's it, right? Um, we spent a day years ago just saying, how do we want to run this company, right? What do we want to do? And one of them is, you know, we're going to be safe. We're going to have fun because, you know, what's the point of working at a small company if you don't have fun? Um, but one of them that, that came out of this, and this was just the team saying, this is how we want to work, was we're going to assume people are doing their best and they're trying to get better. And for us that, you know, at the time that was just one of a list, but that those lists of axioms actually are not mounted to the wall because we've had people pick up the, the poster and bring it into an office and point to it and say, guys, you know, candor, you're screwing this up right now. But when when someone does make a mistake, right, if, if whether it's, you know, they say something mean, they just screw up a research project, 
you go back and say, well, were they trying to be bad? Like, did they, Do you think that was not them at their best? And then, you know, if I give them feedback, will they do better? And, and let's push this on. And that's been really powerful. It's been something we've actually told our kids, you know, whether they're mad at us, like, guys, we're doing our best. This was, this was the best we could do. We'll try to do better next time. But that really moves everything from, again, from blame to saying, how can we work together to solve this problem, get to our end goals as quick as we can? And finding a way to get to your end goals as quickly as possible is incredibly important when it comes to problem solving, especially when those problems can be unexpected. We had the phone ring one day, and, and what I love about Touchmer as well is when I pick up the phone, I have absolutely no idea what's on the other side. It, one day it was someone trying to make a low calorie fat, one day someone wanted to separate plutonium from a waste stream. And they said, you know, can you help with this? So normally we'll pull, you know, two or three people. I'll walk down the hall. And, and one of the benefits of Tetchmer is we have 25 highly skilled scientists, you know, material scientists, we have people with their minor in physics. And so chemistry, chemical engineers, we can just go grab them. And they're coming from a range of experience and say, this is what I'm trying to solve. I got a guy on the phone. And we've done that. We've had guys on the phone and just said, hold on one second. And we just grab someone from the hall and bring them in the room and say, talk. But we'll start thinking about ideas and trying to understand how do I rephrase what they've asked me from, you know, I want something that's light and stiff to something that has a, a modulus of X, right? So, so that we can convert it to scientific terms. And then as we go further down the chain, we might bring in a few more people that we've restated in a, a more scientific form and say, what technologies exist out there, right? What polymers do you guys know about? And we might send that out to the company, you know, in a, in a written format. Here's, here's what we're looking at. Come by at three o'clock today. We have donuts. Let's talk. And, and really, we'll get on a whiteboard and in about an hour, we can come up with 15 ideas. And then everyone else leaves and the two or three people that are running it will then take those ideas, down select them, rank them, and then we'll turn that into a proposal that we'll return back to the customer. And then the other important aspect is we'll go back to our customer and say, here's what we're thinking about and, and work with them. Because again, when you're looking at innovation, right, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. So we're not gonna take a material, develop it and hand it back. We're gonna say, Again, we need to intimately know everything about your process so that we can work it in there. So to solve these problems, Jeff needs a really great team, right? People open to challenges, creativity, collaboration, and those with sharp scientific minds. That can't be easy to find. Identifying the perfect employee is somewhat difficult, right? There's a whole occupation for that. When we look at hiring a Tetchmer employee, the first thing we're going to look for is culture. So across all of those, is it someone that they care about science, they care about developing material, they're hardworking. And again, what we say is they just want to get the job done, right? Whatever it takes, let, let's be successful. Those characteristics, curiosity are, are important. And then after that, you know, there's the job specific skills, there's do they have the technological fit. But for us, we tell people all the time, we want you to grow, to be the best scientist you can be, the best engineer, the best accountant. I don't care, right? If you're spending your time at Tetchmer, I want you to, to grow professionally and personally. And that's what we're looking for when, when we talk to people is we've brought in people that were had their bachelor's in chemistry or material science, and they have PhDs working for them now. And what we've told them is, you know, we're gonna put you in the spot where you grow the fastest and we get you going. So we're looking for people that are hungry, that just you know love science and, and really just wanna get it done. One of the big challenges with leadership is being able to communicate to your team where you wanna go. That's the critical part. If you're gonna lead people, you have to have a destination. 
and they need to know that destination and they actually have to want to get there. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges that we have. As a leader, you have to believe that if we do the things right, we will end up in the place that I'm telling you we're gonna go and everyone else has to buy in on that. And so when we look at developing a culture, we say, you know, what are the characteristics that will get us there. And everything else is really relegated to, to that one goal. And when we look at Tetramer especially, we really push candor. We push ownership of problems and, and this idea that every problem is my problem. If everyone accepts responsibility for every mistake, then, then we can all learn from every mistake, right? The, you know, there, there's the saying, a, you know, a smart man learns from his mistakes, a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. If we can accept that somebody saw me making a mistake and didn't say something, and they should have, they should have stopped me, then that's their mistake. Next time they can learn to communicate up the chain, and I can learn to communicate down the chain. And so as we take ownership for those mistakes and learn from them as a group, we learn faster. We don't fail this way as much. And then the, the other aspect of that culture is, we have to be honest with each other. There's a book called Radical Candor, highly recommend it, but it talks about the idea that people give feedback or they don't give feedback. Those are your two options. And they either do that because they care about you or they don't. And the hardest thing to do is give someone that you care about feedback that they're doing poorly. But we talk about that, we say, we are going to do that because if I care about you, I want you to do well. So I'm gonna tell you you're doing poorly and that's gonna hurt your feelings. And that phrase has actually been very helpful in our company because people have come to me, I've gone to other people and it's kind of a, hey, I got some, uh, I got some candor for you. And it lets the person kind of prepare with like, okay, let me mentally be ready to be told that I screwed up or there's something bad about me and, and not be defensive. And it's just like, okay, let's go. And, we, and we've talked about this, like, yeah, all right, I'm gonna listen. And then, uh, all right, I'll go think about it and come back and okay, let's, let's change that. If people aren't committed to that though, if you don't really care about your colleagues and you don't truly don't care about achieving the goal of the company or, or your project, it's easier just to be quiet and just say, man, you know, I, he, he screwed up. He should be better at what he does. And, and that culture, those are the things that really permeate Tetramer. I think everything after that are, are characteristics. You know, we have to just want to get things done, right? As a scientist, it should irk you when science doesn't work. So you do an experiment and it didn't turn out the way you want. We naturally just don't like that and we want to understand what went wrong so we can fix that. The want to get things done. It sounds like Jeff's brain never really turns off or it never really gets out of work mode. Work-life balance is always something that you hear a lot about and, and I'll have employees ask us about this or, or prospective employee will say, okay, well, what do you think about this? And really at Tetramer, we've always said, we're not prescriptive. I, I think Richard Branson had used the phrase of, of a yin-yang policy of, on, on work-life balance. And I like that idea of it's not a wall. At five o'clock, I don't just walk away and stop thinking about work. And at eight o'clock, I don't stop thinking about my family. So I tell people, if your kids got to high school play at 10 o'clock, go leave, go do that, come back and take care of work afterwards. Likewise, things are going wrong at work at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, answer the phone. Let's, let's fix this problem. And I think a lot of people put artificial barriers between that. I coach high school wrestling. Um, I coach flag football. I have, you know, five kids. And, and for me, I'll get up at four o'clock in the morning and, and work. And then at three o'clock, I leave work and go coach wrestling for three hours. And I come back and and we just get it done. And I think that creates a little bit of a extra work, extra scheduling for the employees and stuff like that. But at the same time, if someone came to me and said, I would like to do this, we'd say, well, how do you work that out, right? How do we, how do we, we wanna balance work and life, but that balance is also spread across your entire life. There are times when, 
you know, right now we're starting a, an oil company, we're, we're expanding another company. Right now, my work-life balance has probably shifted a little bit too much towards work, but I know, you know, six months later, we'll, we'll move back in another direction. And I think that's the idea is just to be agile, be agile with project management. You can be agile with work-life. And, and I do think it's something where um, when you spin a ball on your finger, you don't just sit still, right? You, you move with a little bit. And I, and I think that balance is the same thing. You're always kind of juggling that. It's, it doesn't need to be rigid. This podcast is part of Scribble, South Carolina's voice of innovation. We celebrate and support innovative activity across the state by connecting people to people. Visit ScribbleSC.com for exclusive interviews, tools, and resources. That's ScribbleSC.com. Tetramer, uh, you know, when, when we went with Jeff, uh, I really loved his setup and story. And frankly, I connected with him because I sort of saw a little bit of my life in, in Jeff as well. Obviously not on the same coin, but but as an entrepreneur who does have multiple businesses, who has a wife who works and has two kids, I'm looking at Jeff with five kids and his businesses, this success he has, his, his, um, his spouse works at Tetramer. Um, and heads up their communication. So um, we, we get there and listening and hearing Jeff talk about his approach to business and innovation, um, his approach to work-life balance. Uh, I found this, this conversation to be very enlightening. Um, and at the same time as well, I love the philosophy he has around curiosity and his thoughts about, you know, the, the sort of the journey that it takes to stay innovative. I think he said something about, you know, you, you can't do the last experiment first. You wouldn't know to do that. And so you have to kind of keep at it, keep being curious, you know, keep on the treadmill until you get to the point where you really do figure it out. Um, in many ways, I think that's his approach to life in general. And uh, it was very inspirational, but I, I, you know, I know when you reviewed the interview, what stood out for you with him is, is it, is it his love for curiosity of just trying to solve things? Yeah. Well, I've had the pleasure to talk to Jeff and Michelle, like you mentioned, yeah. his wife who heads up their marketing and outreach. And absolutely one is the passion for learning new things, that curiosity, as you mentioned, of just being cutting edge of of being part of the solution process. And I think something for me that stands out is the optimism, the hope in the next thing that's coming down the line. So, you know, Jeff talks about how he'll buy equipment that maybe isn't already needed for their process, but they know will be needed for their process. And that encouragement for his researchers, his staff to be able to utilize, or right? Take a risk. To right? take a risk and, and and to explore other avenues of being assistance to industry. Because when you look at their their portfolio of offerings, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, I went to your point. I, I suppose that's the foundation that that curiosity and that desire to take a risk is the core. And then he just can he can apply it. 
in so many different ways, right? Into the so many different contexts and sectors. But of course, for us today, I brought a surprise for you and I brought you your own little like pint surprises. of ice cream. And I like ice cream. That is made with one of their molecular advancements called Epigee. And it allows for food that would normally be high fat to be lower in fat, but still taste and feel like it's full fat. So we get to try an ice cream that I just found so in magic. a normal grocery store. That's right. A magic in the ice cream case. Well, I this is this is a great surprise, Kim. And not normally what I think about when I think about magic and architects. They call themselves that, right? Molecular architects. They do, yes. Yeah, I, I, that's just not what I normally think of. So this is applied science that yeah. we get to Yeah, but I'm thinking test. like microchips here. Microchips not to uh, chocolate, chocolate chips. Chocolate chips, yes. What do I have here? Cherry chocolate flake. Chocolate and I have flake. mint chocolate chip. Let's see here. I did that. At, all right. Chocolate chip. Oh, mine has a different message on the top. Swedish style. Jaw pop the top because it's Swedish style ice cream. Mmm, looks Ooh, good. Yes. So you totally can't tell that's low fat. It is no, tastes no. exactly like yeah, a full fat ice cream. Yeah, it's really <clears throat> delicious, actually. This is really good. Yes, and this in the entire container there is 17 grams of fat. In the entire. And mine has 11 grams of fat in the entire container with 250 calories for this whole thing. Yeah. So it's half the fat and half the calories. And the other thing about mm. Epigee, which was... Um, none of the loss of taste. No loss of taste yeah. or that creaminess. Because yeah. have you ever tried an ice cream that's low fat and it has really icy? Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't like feel... like a popsicle. Yeah, it doesn't feel really good. There's slush. Yeah. And and this allows for the ice cream to feel really good or the chocolate. There are several products made with Epigee. Um, there was a product on the market a long time ago that the, attempted to do something oh yeah, fat similar. Replacement? And we won't call its name. No. Well, we will talk about its <laughs> side effects. It, it didn't do so well for the um, digestive track of those who consumed it. And this product, which was you know, developed at Detrimer doesn't have that same side effect. So uh, again, we're able to have this very full fat feeling experience for half the fat, half the calories. And that's really cool when you think about that they are able to create this type of technology. And they're also creating, you know, technology that doesn't involve the food world at all. Mm -hmm. That's very technical when you think of the traditional sense i i wonder how that brief is is brought to them you know does someone come in and just be like look i need you to to come up with a molecule that will replace fat reduce fat reduce the calories not change its not change its taste and not have any side effects and what, what was jeff and team that okay Right, I'm right. sure that how, how does that even work? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll check back in in three months and we'll see where we are. Well, I think <laughs> that that is really the culture there is we have this problem and now we have this quest, this curiosity quest to solve this problem. And so they can apply that to a whole range of, of different problems and they have the equipment in-house to do that. And, and so to your point, they, they, they have not only worked in, in consumer goods, 
Um, but they, they, they do all sorts of different things and they partner with a lot of different people on an array of, so whether it's any type of product development or manufacturing, it might be, um, uh, lubricants, right? Oils and lubricants that they, um, help uh, or collaborate to produce, um, or improve, um, defense, I think is one of the things they mentioned as well. And, and of course, uh, consumer experiences with respect to products. So, um, what, what a fascinating team. And, um, I think there was a lot to learn from, from Jeff. So, uh, let's get to it and hear what he has to say about his curiosity journey and the success that's come from it. When doing development, it's always tricky because there, there's lots of opportunities to fail in research. Every experiment doesn't work and, and every experiment isn't even necessarily attempting to work, right? We're, we're trying to understand the constraints and the boundaries of what we're doing. There, there is a inside joke at Tetramer, which we'll, we'll share with you, which is we can't do the last experiment first. But this goes back to one of our partners years at Dow Chemical where, where someone asked them, why didn't you just do the last experiment first? Because we didn't know to do that experiment. It took us a year of trying and failing and, and tweaking to get there. And so it is a industry or, or it's an occupation where it's easy to look and say, oh, I failed. But in reality, the key is I want to fail a new way today. This is how I failed yesterday. How can I fail today in a new way that I'll learn something new? And that's something that, you know, clearly you can take that to life. I coach wrestling at Daniel High School and I tell my wrestlers, I want you to step off the mat better than you stepped on, right? That you got out there and you got pinned, but you learned a new way that you can lose. Okay, good, let's not do that again. And I think for us, it's the same thing. When I walk into the lab or when I walk into a business meeting, I want to win, I want to get the desired outcome, but at the end of the day, what I really want to do is come out a wiser person who will be better tomorrow. And you just have to take that with you as you go. An example I give to, to uh, Clemson students that I, that I teach an entrepreneur class to once a year, a customer came to us and just said, I have a waste product. Do you think you could do something with it? And, and they didn't fund us. We actually got funding for this project. But we said, okay, we'll, we'll try to find a use for it. So this was a bio-based waste product and we looked at it and looked at the chemistry and we brainstormed and we developed a replacement for styrene. Styrene is used in boat hauls and fiberglass final ester resins. It's a volatile organic compound. It causes cancer, it's regulated. So we have developed this bio-based styrene replacement that's a waste product. It's the, the greenest, happiest story you can kind of tell and it lets people go out on boats. It just makes life great in every way, but the raw material product that we needed was being burned. It was literally a waste stream. Once we got it developed, the person that was selling the material said, well, we want to sell it for a little bit higher value because it's a co-product. And it was a penny a pound too expensive. And you think, well, does that really matter? Yes, it does. We went to people that did vinyl western resin compounding and said, will you buy this? And they said, no, it's too expensive. And it was literally one and a half cents, I think, too expensive. And so you take that and you look at it and you go, everything was a success, except for we didn't secure the supply chain at a rate. And it was because the cost structure changed. We ended up licensing that technology to a very large chemical company. And two years later, they returned the license to us and said, it's a penny a pound too expensive. So we felt better about ourselves that we were as good as that company was, but but that was a complete failure. And that's what we tell you know, the university kids, you can do everything perfect, but we didn't transition it. And the key is what do we learn from that, right? Is well, next time we go into our next project, 
we're a little bit wiser and we haven't failed that way again. We've found new ways that we don't transition projects. Most of them are communication. It's, it's having a firm understanding at the outset what success looks like and then hitting those goals. When talking with those university kids, or well, even when talking with other entrepreneurs, what tips does Jeff have for them? I think the biggest thing is the idea of perseverance, of just, you gotta get this done. There's going to be things that step out in front of you that you just did not see coming, and, and you have to be prepared to, to take them on. Uh, you gotta be prepared to take on new roles, right? I think the biggest challenge, if you're building a company, right, what you do today to make you successful will not be what you need to do tomorrow. And understanding that you need to bring in people train them to fill what you were doing so that you can move on to that next role. And, and that's where you, you see a lot of people struggling. You see CEOs struggling where they have five people doing, you know, they're doing a good job, but they can't get to 20 or they can't get to 100. You got to learn about banking. You got to learn about insurance and, and you're going you're gonna to fail on all of those, right? You're, you're going to make mistakes. And it's just this idea of that's why it's hard. That's why it takes lots of hours and work is there's, there's a lot to learn. And you know, most entrepreneurs aren't bankrolled, right? You're not going to hire a CFO. So get good books, learn a lot, read a lot. And I think the other aspect is, and something that I didn't do well, is the idea of reaching out to other entrepreneurs. There's this kind of question, I don't even know what I would ask them. But in later years, I've found venture capitalists that are in the Greenville area and, and uh, we'll go have coffee with them. And it's funny because both of us will just say like, what are you working on? What, what are you doing? And as you talk to them, you start to get these, everyone is interested in your problems and, and people don't have trouble telling you how to solve your problems. So, you know, getting advice is pretty easy. We sort of jumped straight into the science in this episode, and that's because Jeff made it easy to do so. But let's take a step back and talk about his journey. I graduated with my bachelor's of science in uh, ceramic engineering. I was actually the last graduating class at Clemson to do that. Went to NC State for a year and worked on growing gallium nitride, doing semiconductor research. But what I really liked was optical materials. And, and at the time I got a NSF graduate fellowship program that was able to pay for my school. And so I transitioned back to Clemson to finish up my PhD. And when I did that, you know, I loved technology. That's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to find a place where I could really just go work in a lab, but I wanted to work on things that were going to transition. What I liked about optical materials, I worked with fluorescent materials and they, you make them and they glow and you know you, you did it right, it worked. For me, doing science for the sake of science was fun, but to me the question is, will this make a difference? If I do this for 20 years, how will I know that I did well? I was always interested in the commercialization side of things. Once I transitioned to Tetramer after getting my PhD, and I did work for for five years in the lab, but we instantly got involved with writing proposals and part of that is the commercialization plan. And that's where we realized your failure, it's difficult to develop a new material. But we always say developing a material is like packing your bags to go on a trip through Europe. You've packed your bag, you got your passport, you got your plane ticket, but you actually haven't gone on a trip to Europe yet. You've just packed. And technically having that solution is like you've packed your bags for commercialization, for entrepreneurship, but that's just the start. And so I got really interested in, in understanding what do we have to do to transition the material? How do you build the business case? How do you find the customers to do that? And over time, what I realized was I can make a lot of really new materials, but the real challenge is figuring out how to make the new materials that solve a problem. I love working in the lab, but over time I just realized, you know, my unique skill set probably created greater value for, for everyone if I was 
on the other side of it, you know, doing the business and, and writing the, the case study, you know, is there a market for this? How big is that market? Because that, that really answers the question of what does the supply chain need to look like and what are our raw materials cost? And, and those constraints, those are the reasons most technologies end up failing in the market or even never making it to market. Jeff joined Tetramer after leaving school. And that was because, as you can tell, he really enjoys being involved in the business aspect of it all. When I graduated from Clemson University, I, mean, I was looking for a job in the Southeast, and my degree was in material science and engineering. So we were looking around, and, and there weren't a lot of opportunities, uh, much better than there were you know, 40 years ago. But most of the jobs that I was looking at were in New York, uh, California, places like that. And I did get a job offer working in Atlanta with a very large chemical company. It was a really good opportunity. But Tetramore Technologies had recently started up, and there were two employees. No one was full-time yet. And I really had this opportunity to work at the company. Company, and it was just a question of, do I want to try out this entrepreneurship thing or do I want to just jump into big business and, and ride that corporate ladder? So it was kind of a hard decision. But at the end of the day, we looked at it and said, you know, I have two years of funding. And when this doesn't work out and we've done our best and the company goes out of business, I'll have a nice byline on my resume and I'll, and I'll keep on moving. So we, we made that jump. At the time we were at Tetchmer, we did everything from running phone lines. Uh, if we wanted to transfer a car from one from one office to another office, we would actually go into the communications room and actually rewire and go to the new office and then pick up the phone there. You know, it was a classic small business. Over time, we've continually reinvested in the company and, and grown the company from that four people up to, to 25 people. And that's just been done through continual reinvestment and, and looking at the long game of saying, what do we have to do to have a, a real advanced materials lab in South Carolina? One of the things that one of my partners, Earl Wagner, really wanted to do when, when they started the company, he had worked, he had graduated from Clemson, and the only job he could get was in Midland, Michigan, working for Dow Chemical. And he didn't come back to Clemson until he retired. And he was retired for one day and then came back to Clemson and started at Tetchmer and then retired another I think 20 years later. I mean, he still actually works for Tetramer remotely, but one of the big things we've been proud of is our ability to have jobs for people that are graduating in, in high-tech chemistry degrees, material science degrees, chemical engineers, and they have these opportunities to stay in South Carolina and work in the area that they grew up in. Now Jeff is an owner of Tetramer. It seems he made the right choice post-college, but how did he make his way to ownership? When I first was approached um, by one of the original owners of Tetramer, one of the founders, they, they were trying to convince me to go to, to Tetramer and versus into big business. And at that time, they said, make this jump. And as we get bigger, you know, there'll, there'll be an opportunity for, for you to have an ownership position. And that was really just a, a handshake deal. So I worked for 10 years and put in the sweat equity. And that involved, again, everything from working in the labs during the day and then at night in December filing taxes with, with one of my partners, you know, at 11 o'clock at night. And so after about 10 years, I'm back to them and said, you know, hey guys, were you serious about that? Um, and they were very gracious. There's, they said, absolutely, you've, you've been, you know, more than an employee, you've been, you've been working as an owner. So at that point, I became an equal owner in the company. And then over time, uh, whenever you're running a company, you really just have to look at alignment and say, you know, has everyone got an equal amount of skin in the game? At the time, one of my partners, uh, Earl Wagner, who was our CEO, was actively running the company. The other three partners were professors. And it really was just this question of, am I, am I going to see Tetramer through to the end? And where's the value for me? And for me, I think it equated to more ownership was like tenure. It, it was, okay, this is, 
a company that you have a secure place with this company until you're ready to not have that position. That was something that was easy to understand for them. So at that point, I, I actually bought out ownership positions. And then uh, again, another, probably another six, seven years later, we were looking at continued growth and, and a lot of the questions involved just risk of, you know, as we grow the company, we have to buy another building. Who, who wants that on their balance sheet? And, and at that point, you know, my, my appetite for reinvesting in the company and reinvesting my personal assets and putting my name on the, on the loan was higher than everyone else. And which was again, reasonable, uh, we're at different stages in our lives. And so at that point we said, okay, well, let's, let's do this again, where I bought over a controlling interest of the company. And I think it's important when you're working with, with partners to understand what's fair, what's equitable and in alignment with people's long-term goals in life. And I think that was something that allowed the current owners to still be active. You know, they, they can still come in, they still consult with us and they still have a company, uh, but put, put me in a position and put the company in position to grow as big as we want to go. So how has Jeff helped to differentiate Tetramer in his time at the company? One of the things that separates Tetramer's research and development work from a lot of other uh, whether it's a university or other companies or, or consultants that, that you know, have deep expertise. We are very focused on developing commercially viable technologies. And, and when I say that, what I mean is if you go talk to one of our scientists in the lab, whether it's a PhD chemist or a BS chemist that's been at Tetramer for you know, one year, they're going to understand that the solutions we provide, the framework when we think of solutions, has to, it has to be cost you know, it has to be within the cost specs, right? We'll ask a customer when they come to us with a technology, how much can you afford? And that sounds like we're trying to figure out how much can we charge? But the question is, can I use diamond dust in my solution? Or, you know, am I just going to use clay? And we've had projects that we actually did use diamond dust in the solution. So that's an important thing to understand. And we'll look at our solution space and say, does this have to go through regulatory? Do I, do I have to get permission from the EPA to produce this. Well, we had one customer come to us that after we talked to them, they had already they had already licensed technology. They had to file six PMNs, which cost them a couple hundred thousand dollars that they didn't know they were going to have to fund. So when, when someone comes to us and say, we want you to help us develop a material, we're going to work on developing a commercially viable material that will solve your technical solution. But when we solve that solution, you're able to implement that in, into your application space. And finally, how does Jeff stay on top of it all? When we look at staying up to date on technology, and when you look at Tetramer, you say, wow, you, you guys work across a broad spectrum of technologies. I think, I think there's two ways to look at that. Tetramer is an advanced materials company. So what we stay up to date on is what are the trends in chemistry, what new research is being done at a, you know, at a molecular level. And, and that's really what we focus on. However, in, in the spaces we work in hydrogen, right, and in, in, um, uh, bio-based materials, sustainability, we're, we're staying up to date on that as well. What we do is research. What we like to do is, is research. And so, you know, every single person at Tetchmer is going to want to know what's going on. The other aspect of that is you, when you're running these projects and, and you switch from, from one program to another one, you have to get up to speed very quickly. And so normally there's a, there's a one week, two week timeline where you're digesting every bit of information that exists in the world to really get up to speed to a high level of extra expertise in the application space. That's really what drove me into this position. I like to learn, I like to know what's going on technologically. And so that part of the job doesn't really work. That's just, that's just what we naturally do. I'm Jeff DeMeo, and those were my notes on innovation. Thanks for listening to Of Note. 
I'm Joseph Nutter. And I'm Kim Christ. This is an original production by the South Carolina Department of Commerce and Design Sensory. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster, with additional editing support from Cody Langford. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering, with original music by Matt Honkinen. Special thanks to Robin Hendricks and Danny Netherland. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at ScribbleSC. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.